All of it is supported by Missouri, makers of handcrafted jewelry that's made to last. Looking for the perfect Mother's Day present? Missouri has you covered. Get free shipping on all orders in the U.S. and Canada, plus a two-year warranty. Head to Missouri.com slash all of it or use code all of it for 10% off your first order. That's M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash all of it. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is All of It. I'm Allison Stewart. Comedian Cameron Esposito's memoir titled Save Yourself may sound pretty on point for our current moment, but the book is not about coronavirus or any other reason for COVID-19 alarm. Although her hometown of Western Springs, Illinois, was a filming location for the 2011 pandemic flick Contagion. In the book, Esposito describes her life as a not-yet-out-gay kid growing up in a Catholic household in the 80s and the 90s in the Midwest. And she does so hilariously but also sweetly and sometimes tartly. For example, Cameron writes about a high school assignment this way. Quote, I found my essay on a floppy disk a few years back. I wrote, since I am not gay, I don't know whether or not it is a choice and therefore cannot pass judgment. About as progressive as I could possibly have been at the time. I'm sure I even felt proud of my open-mindedness as I turned in the paper before walking out to the hall and saying, that paper was gay. At Bennett in 1990, that's gay was pretty much everyone's favorite insult. A lot has changed. Cameron Esposito has created TV shows and podcasts about queer life, and her Netflix special raised more than $70,000 for the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, Rain. And today is pub day for her memoir, Save Yourself. And Cameron Esposito joins me right now. Cameron, welcome to all of it. Wow, that was a great intro. Actually, it's like more like $100,000, which I'm going <laughs> to go ahead and do a full brag. There you um, go. You know, it's good to have an opportunity for a full brag in this in the midst of all of <laughs> And that's a good brag on top of it. Yes, it's a good brag. Thank you for flagging that um, the memoir is called Save Yourself and that that couldn't have, that just couldn't be weirder. Um, <laughs> it couldn't be weirder. So, hey, why would you want to write this memoir? What was going on that you thought, I am going to go back and look at all the nooks and crannies of my life? You know, I... Much like some, many, this has happened to me multiple times in my career. I was writing a column for the AV Club, which is the Onions um, arts and culture arm. And I also um, was making a video video series, a web series for early BuzzFeed, like before BuzzFeed had offices or employees, that was called Ask a Lesbian. And I was approached by my publisher, Grand Central Publishing, to ask if I wanted to write a book. And this is, I just, I feel like I've multiple times have been making a bunch of work and somebody will say to me, do you think that translates to this? And I'll be like, absolutely having no idea what I'm getting myself into. <laughs> like, I'm just like, sure, I can write a book. What, how hard is that? What is that? Three pages? Done. You know, and it turns out it's actually almost impossible. So I say how to other people who write books all the time. So how was that? How was that writing process? It was really difficult. It um, it was really difficult to work without an audience, without a live audience. However, I will say that is great preparation for right now. Um, also, I, it's, it was hard and lovely to look back at my younger self because... The kid that's in this book, you know, the kid that I am, I had so much shame as a child. I felt very, um, I had a lot of body dysmorphia, felt really 
fat and unattractive and goony. I had crossed eyes when I was a kid. It was very intense to have something going on um, with my face. You know, eye contact is one of the first things that many of us do meeting each other. Um, I had you know, a bowl cut and glasses and braces, uh, glasses that went on top of an eye patch is what I'm describing to you. So I just felt, I felt very, I felt terrible about myself. And then going back as an adult and meeting that kid and writing about that kid and seeing photographs of myself, I just felt like, man, this kid was actually like very awesome. Like if I met that kid, I would be like, you are the best. Like you're, you're, you're your own person. You're trying so hard. You know, it feels humiliating to go to school and you're doing it anyway. And it was uh, difficult and lovely to have those feelings about myself. It's yeah, you were resilient. You were definitely a resilient little, little person. Where do you think you got that from? Well, my parents, even though they eventually ended up having a really difficult time with my coming out, the ways that I expressed queerness as a child, they they were supportive of. Like, they were, you know, the day that, I mean, this is an, an era when Christopher Columbus was not as... Um, when white people may not have been as aware of Christopher Columbus's uh, many faults and problematic positioning, I auditioned for the role of Christopher Columbus in like the grade school play that I was in, and no other girls were doing that. And it, it wasn't even it wasn't even like gender blind casting. It was like boys can show up for this, and I went wearing my mom's boots. I borrowed my mom. This is like an era of pretty woman. I buried my, <laughs> borrowed my mom's like thigh-high suede boots, and I shoved them down around my ankles and went and auditioned for Christopher Columbus. I, my parents were, they were like proud of me for stuff like that. Um, so I think that's part of it. I also think I didn't really have another choice, you know? Mm -hmm. You just are who you are. My guest is Cameron Esposito. The name of her new memoir is Save Yourself. You write about your relationship with your two sisters growing up as the middle child. Quote, it was like Allison and I lived in a binary, binary system where she was the daughter of the family and I was the son. Since both of these slots were filled by the time she was born, Britain, the witch, kind of did her own thing, including for a solid year of her young life, identifying as a dog. <laughs> so. Yeah. That's what I meant about the, the memoir is just really sweet and funny and tart at the same time. It's all of those things. How, how did your relationship with your sisters inform your sense of self? Right. I mean, I have two straight um, siblings who are very, well, my older sister especially is, you know, very what we would term as traditionally feminine. She's an actual ballerina. Um, and then my little sister was is was so out there. All of her choices were so, and she continues to be. Um, I mean, she moved to South America by herself. She's like that kind of person. She's just a very brave person who's carving her own path. And I think for me, some of that made me feel um, like I had to take on some traditional masculine roles in the family and. You know, I'm comfortable with that, but I just mean it made me into a very protective person. It also made me kind of risk averse because my siblings um, 
they're they have done a ton of risky things in their lives. And so for me, I am somebody who takes a lot less risk. And and that being said, my job is that I'm a stand-up comic. So you square that in your mind, but it feels true to me. You know, I'm curious when you were, when you were writing this, because you do write about your family, how did you negotiate what to include and what to keep private? That's a great question. I included things that I thought affected were were clear could clearly be shown to 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 directly affect me. So the things that are in my my family members' lives, and this is also true for because um, I have people I've dated are characters in the book, and I also did the same sort of methodology for that, which is if it's about me and my experience then I think it's, you know, as artists, that's what we draw from. I do feel a responsibility to protect private information. Um, and also, my family members read the book in an earlier form, and the the girlfriends, my ex-girlfriends, who are major characters, also got manuscripts to read. It's a, it's This is something that is perpetually difficult to navigate as an artist, I find is where does my experience stop and how do I protect someone else's privacy? In the book, we learn your family is Catholic. You're very Catholic, raised uber-Catholic for most of your young life, gone to Catholic high school and the Boston College. Were you drawn to religion? And what was it about your religion that, that, that meant something to you? And how and when did that change? Well, I was, I wouldn't say drawn to my religion because I, it was, it's more like steeped in it. You know, I went to Catholic school my whole life, which means that the same person who taught me two plus two equals four also taught me that Jonah survived in the belly of a whale. You know, it, Catholicism was literal and it was mixed into everyday life. It, it for me, it was a very extreme version of faith. Um, and of organized religion. And I also care about community, and I want, and I'm interested in big ideas and, and want to talk about what's important to all of us. I think that's still what I'm doing with stand-up. Mm-hmm. For me, being raised as religious as I was, the best way I could access that was through the church, because the church is where I knew people to gather together and sing and where I knew people to do social justice work. And it's where I knew people to, you know, care about those who um, were, say, were like living in unstable housing. Like all of that was filtered through the church for me. Um, so, it, so really it was when I realized that I no longer wanted to ascribe to that religion, it that was the moment where I had to make a bunch of choices. Before that, it just felt like an assembly line. You do write that you call religion is complicated. And as soon as you've listed every reason why it's the worst, you find someone who wants to pray, and there you are praying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what yeah, do you make of that, that paradox today? Such a good question. I still... You know, I cry when I hear Christmas carols on the radio. I mean, I'm not unaffected by 
the nostalgia that feels the Catholicism and the Christianity sparks in me. Also, the Catholic Church is brilliant because, and has historically been brilliant, because they invested in artists that made beautiful artwork. They, you know, stole land um, in coveted places, and they repurposed houses of worship so that all of, you know, some of the best stuff, some of the best stuff in every city or in many countries has been stamped with Catholicism. So it's hard to not have a reaction to it still. You know, Notre Dame is a Catholic church. So it's, it's, there's a, a lot of complexity. You have two chapters in your book, Save Yourself, by the way, my guest is Carmen Esposito, Cameron Esposito. Um, you, one's called Getting Gay and the other is Coming Out. What's the distinction? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I think one of them is self-focused. One of them mm-hmm. is other-focused. I suppose all queer people have to also come out to themselves. But mm. so often when you're a queer person, especially doing something like an interview, the thing that you're asked about the most is your coming out experience. And then that always leads to the question of how did your parents take it? That's like the number one thing. And you say it's an annoying question, so, so I, I didn't want to ask it. It says, <laughs> you're very clear in the book. It is an annoying question. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I, I think it's not, it's not like, I don't find it annoying. I just find it not about me. Hmm. You know, like, ask my parents how they took it. Like, that's the people that, that really is part of their life story, the biggest, in, in the biggest way. Um, you know, for, I think for queer people, we are rarely asked like, how did you build a queer identity? When did you find out that other people had been queer before you? You know, there's a whole there's a whole culture to queerness. There's a lesbian culture. You know, there's a there's a gay cis male culture. There's trans culture, and then there's the intersection of all of those things. And that experience of connecting with all that, like that, is just as formative. I think for for me anyway, it was just as formative. To your point, there's the the out, sort of the outward facing part of when someone comes out and then the when they come out to themselves. And the way you write about your first kiss, I just love this passage. You write, it was the big reveal, the kiss. It was Bruce Willis realizing he was dead and the guy from a mentor reading his tattoos and Joaquin Phoenix swinging away all rolled into one. It was pure clarity, an instant solution to my tiny gay Rubik's cube of a life. Everything lined up. This is sort of a big question, but I think there might be uh, sort of practical answers to it. How did your life change after that moment? How did how did it change day to day for you in the way you walked in the world? I actually do have some specific answers to that, which is amazing. <laughs> um, I love this question. Yeah, I well, I hadn't I had dated men, and they had been my friends. Some of these relationships were positive, and also they didn't give me a ton of information about why people get married, about why people um, want to hold each other. They didn't give me a ton of information about um, why sex is essential to my relationship to, to other people, at the very least, um, because they, because my dating men wasn't... 
it wasn't um it wasn't what dating is if that makes sense and so i mean it truly i this is going to sound very overblown but when i kissed a woman for the first time i felt like i understood why people uh dance with each other like why people grind on each other i understood why my peers had been having sex i because some some of those things had just been so inaccessible to me it felt like yeah i like the people that i date um and i also want them to go home like i don't really want them to be near me um i would love to talk with them on the phone and so to have that that massive difference of um being interested in relying on somebody in building a life with somebody, you know, whatever that happened to look like at 20, all of that was new. The name of the memoir is Save Yourself. My guest is Cameron Esposito. So Cameron, when did you really first realize this comedy thing is going to work out for me? I'm still trying to figure out if that's true. I mean, <laughs> that's actually not true. Um, you know, I think for I think for me it was when I was make, supporting myself full time doing comedy, um, because I even was doing comedy professionally. I got my first job doing comedy professionally the day after I graduated from college. For some people, that might have been a clue that they were going to be a professional comic when they already were one. Um, but for me, it just took a little longer. I didn't I didn't grow up um, in a family where art was connected to the entertainment industry. I just thought it was it would always be a hobby or a side gig. And then as I started doing stand-up more and I realized that there are ways I can put comedy into other things, you know, hosting gigs or teaching classes or then eventually as I started to get more and more work as a stand-up. It it really it really was about supporting myself financially and being a small business person who happens to you know, you know, live stand-up comedy as most of their business. So your book's coming out at just a, an odd time, a difficult it time sure for is. a book to come out. Uh, how are you going to adjust? I mean, you were likely going to have a book tour and and, and all. How are you going to take this, um, bring this out to people virtually? Right. I would have been in New York today um, for a book tour. I would have been sitting across from you in real life, which would have been nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, well, I want to first start by saying one thing that I want to make sure to mention before we end this call uh, is that there are indie booksellers that were going to work with me on all of these tour dates that are really at risk for being affected mm-hmm. by this um, in such a massive way. So in New York, it was Books Are Magic. And I believe that they're still doing shipping. There are a lot of the bookstores, and I have them all listed on my Instagram account. That So if you're listening and you don't live in New York, um, I would love to help drive you to support your indie bookseller. Here in L.A., my indie bookseller is Skylight Books. But, yeah, in New York, I was using uh, Books or Magic. And so that's just something I want to mention. If you are trying to buy this book, there's a zillion ways to do it. You can also get it as an audiobook or an ebook. But I would love to drive you to support your local indie booksellers so that they can continue to exist after all this. And that um, relates to the answer to your question, which is I've been transitioning my book tour to Zoom. I've been doing these Zoom events with other writers. I've had hmm. Roxane Gay on and Carmen Maria Machado, both massive New York Times bestselling writers. And I, today I've got an event going on 
with Tegan Quinn will be one of my guests, and she's one half of the band Tegan and Sarah, but also a memoirist herself. So I've been trying to, and those are open to the public, and there's information on my social media about how to join, and those have been really successful. It's been really nice also because with Zoom, you can um, take audience questions and you can cut to the cameras for those people that are attending, and so I can also see the attendees, you know, who's at these virtual events. Oh, that's but really it cool. A, it's so it is actually yeah, that's really so cool. Amazing. You can also yeah. scroll. So if people, you can scroll and see all of the attendees. And I mean, there's been hundreds and hundreds of people on these panels uh, listening. And for you can scroll and see everybody in their homes. And it really has felt there's been a really strong sense of community. I've also been doing Instagram Live and things like that, but for that, you can't cut to everybody's cameras. But on Zoom, you can, and it's been—it's really felt like that community feeling that a book tour would usually have. The name of the book is Save Yourself. It's by Cameron Esposito. Cameron, good luck with the book, and thanks for making time for us today. It was so nice to talk to you. Take care of yourself. You too. This is all of it on WNYC. I'm Allison Stewart, and I will meet you back here next time. All of it is supported by Majuri, makers of handcrafted, ethically sourced jewelry for every day that's made to last. Looking for the perfect Mother's Day present? Missouri has taken the guesswork out of gifting, offering everything from dainty 14K solid gold pieces to pearls, diamonds, gemstones, and more. Make it personal with an engraving, or if you can't decide, check out their curated gift guide. Let them take care of the rest, gift wrapping included. Get free shipping on all orders in the U.S. and Canada, plus easy returns and a two-year warranty. Head to Missouri.com slash all of it or use code all of it for 10% off your first order. That's M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash all of it.